Welcome to the Yana podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, hear stories of strength, and get all in our feelings so we can remind you that you are not alone. Our hosts are me, Carly, and Becca. Both of us are super passionate about mental health, advocacy, education, and shattering that stigma. We love creating opportunities for young people to share their stories and experiences about navigating mental health and life in general. The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language. Listener discretion advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. For some reason, I felt like I wanted to sing that. I don't know why, but I did. Oh, you should have. No, I shouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always up for some singing in the morning. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Very good. Very good. I haven't had enough coffee yet. Okay. Well, we have an awesome guest today, part of a series that we're doing, but we'll get into that in a second after we explain to you why we started the Yana podcast. So Carly and I both work for NAMI. Yes. Yes, we do. Which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And we are the luckiest ones because we get to work for the NAMI Philadelphia, Pennsylvania affiliate. Um, go Philly. And we're so excited to be a part of NAMI because NAMI does such an amazing work around so many things involving mental health education and support and advocacy and awareness stuff. Um, Becca, what are some of the things that we do? Well, we do lots of things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Carly. We do lots of things. Well, we offer, you know, we have a bunch, we have a bunch of support groups that you can go to our website to find out about, but we also um, do consultations and resources. We um, are involved with lots of forms of advocacy, which are really cool, but um, we also provide educational programs. So one is called Ending the Silence. And that is our youth mental health education program where we go to schools, youth programs, colleges, all over the place. And we talk to young people about mental health, warning signs, uh, suicide prevention, what to do, how to help a friend, blah, blah. So blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. Um, And the best part is that it's paired with a young person who shares the story of their own mental health journey. And so since we you know, this whole COVID thing happens. Dang. A little thing called COVID. Um, You know, the world shifted and we weren't able to do things the way that we had before. So we still wanted to be able to give young people a platform where they could hear stories, like share stories, have conversations surrounding mental health. So therefore once upon a time in a land far far away. This is how corny (laughs) she is like on the regs. (laughs) <laughs> I got to read uh, Beauty and the Beast to my niece yesterday. Oh, for I, the love. It was all in. in I, can only, I can only imagine. There was a young prince. <laughs> okay. And the Yana podcast was born. <laughs> the Yana podcast was born out of Becca and I losing our minds in COVID. Yeah. So here we are. And what Yana. does Yana stand for? 
Yana stands for you are not alone. So yes, we love the Yana podcast. It's our baby and it's just a really cool thing and a cool way for youth and young adults um, like our awesome guest today to come on and share their story and to have conversations around mental health and to just destigmatize this like so scary conversation. You know, we want to talk about it because it's needed to talk. We need to talk about it. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah. So today we have Christina Miranda. Christina is a recent graduate from the University of Pennsylvania with a BA degree in neuroscience. She has been working on eating disorder advocacy efforts since she was 14 years old after surviving her personal struggle with anorexia. Christina believes that participating in the programs offered by the Body Empowerment Project would, ha um, would have prevented her eating disorder. In her free time, she can be found caring for her collection of plants and baking yes. for friends and family. So I also just wanna say that the Body Empowerment Project, if you listen to the previous episode, she and the co-founder, co-president who we'll be having on as well, uh, started this organization, um, which you'll hear about a little bit in the ep this episode. But if you listen to the episode, the previous episode, you can learn a lot about Body Empowerment Project. So hello, Christina. Yay. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me again. I just like love talking with you both. So this is great. This yes, is great. So we, we love talking about you. <laughs> And with you, I am so excited about you and just who you are and your heart. Um, if you guys listened to the episode prior to this about the organization, you will have gotten to really hear the like amazing work that these girls are doing. Um, but I always like to say behind like every amazing adventure or like every amazing, you know, nonprofit organization or whatever passion project is a is a why is a reason why you know people are motivated by their own lived experience most of the time um so that's kind of what we get to hear about today is christina's lived experience and why you know this body empowerment project is such an important and special thing to her yeah so, yay thank we're very excited of course. Thank you for being here with us again. You get to, you're just like always getting the, the blessing of getting to be with me. And oh yeah. That's such a blessing. It is. It truly really is. Awesome. So, oh, thanks. Thank you so much. So let's, let's hear about who you are and let's well, hear do about. Well, we want to check in first? Oh my gosh. Look at me being all kinds of all over the place. Yes, I do. I want to check in as you can yeah, see. Let's do the let's Yana check thing. in the Yana thing. We'll check in with each other, see how we're doing. Um, I am all over the place. Apparently <laughs> I'm all over the place. Apparently. apparently, um, my schedule lately has been wild. Um, and I have not really had like a lot of time, like downtime. And so I'm just getting used to it, getting used to the like, go, go. I mean, I like the go, go, go. I'm often in the go, go, go. Um, but sometimes it's just a little faster than my norm. Um, so I'm just really busy lately, um, which causes me a little bit of tired, being, being exhausted, <laughs> being very tired. Um, but I'm super motivated and feeling fulfilled by things like this. So I'm very excited to be here, even though I'm very tired, but thank God for coffee. 
cheers to everyone who's drinking coffee with me today. <laughs> Ooh, that is definitely a. <laughs> mm-hmm. How are you back? Um, uh, I'm okay. I'm so I when we recorded yesterday, which is the episode you would have listened to last week. Um, I was with my niece. I was, uh, and it was the second day that I had left my apartment in six weeks, uh, because I've been recovering from COVID and, um, it was rough and I actually had to go home early, um, because I felt really horrible. So today I'm kind of like feeling it, my body, um, cause like I've been really sedentary for the last six weeks. So like just my muscles from being active at all, let alone with a toddler, um, yeah. are, I'm feeling it and I'm really, really tired, but, um, cause I'm still feeling the fatigue in general from COVID. And, um, I guess I have that long haulers, which is awesome, but, um, yeah, so, but I'm, I'm really excited to be recording with Christina and we'll be recording with Amanda later, her co-founder, co-president. Um, and so I love doing this and it's exciting. And I also have like a lot of really cool projects on my plate right now um, that I'm excited about in general. So that's me. Yay. And how are you, Christina? Check in, tell us how you're, how you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good today. I think I feel the same, like totally the same sentiment as you guys. Things are exhausting and super busy lately, but um, taking time to do things like the Yana podcast and be here today and just reflect on everything and how far I've come feels, it's almost like a form of self-care for me. It feels really great to reflect on that. So um, I think after this hour recording or so, I'll feel like so much more energized and excited to go on with the rest of my day. Yeah, that's how I always feel like I'll be, I'll be like really dragging in the morning or whatever. And then I have something like a presentation or recording and then I'm like, Woo, all right, I'm back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm back. And I'm back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So great. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Oh, here it comes. I'm starting to sing. I'm starting to sing. (laughs) I need to cool it. I need to cool it. I need to cool it. So let's hear about Christina. Um, I know I asked this question 30 seconds ago, but now I'm asking it for the real time, real time. Who are you? Um, Tell us your story. Um, Why, you know, why are you on this podcast? And, you know, why do you do the work that you do? You can start, Becca likes people to start essentially from like way back in the day like when did this all yeah yeah <laughs> you came out of your mother and then <laughs> no <laughs> I literally <laughs> anyways start wherever you want to start yeah, okay I can definitely start with you know my early life and childhood because my family is so great they're so important to me so I'd love to talk about them give them a little shout out Um, I grew up with my parents and my grandparents who I'm super close with and my older sister as well and just having like so many people around supporting me and raising me was really impactful and really great and I think it also kind of transitions into into my story because as a child you know, your family and and in any mental illness, even if you're an adult, your family can be a huge source of support. So, and that was certainly not an exception for, for my case, but I think I started 
starting with just when I was in elementary school, I think I was a little bit of a little bit on the heavier side, very healthy, happy kid though. There was nothing wrong with it at all. Um, but I think it certainly gave me some, I felt certainly self-conscious and I had generally just a higher level of anxiety, probably more than the average kid. Mm. But for the most part, you know, I was healthy and, and generally happy as a kid. And then um, it wasn't probably until I was about 10, maybe fourth or fifth grade, where I started having a lot more body image issues. I think it's that age where you're starting to change. Oh my gosh, yes. And it's just such a hard transition period. There's- Can I ask you a question real fast before you get there? So like, what did your anxiety look like when you were a kid? That little, yeah. 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 I think it's kind of interesting because it's things that I didn't even really reflect on until Mm -hmm. until later in life but um and some of it was kind of cute how I used to do when I was like five years old I had family meetings in the living room and I would make everybody like talk with each other and try to work out issues so I had you know you know you're gonna like run something when like that's how you like at you now running like a whole organization right, right. So I think I had some you know healthy coping strategies even at that time I'd have people have little family meetings <laughs> I, I also had my family practice like fire drills just like very like oh interesting <laughs> well that's interesting you were yeah. like let's let's you know kind of think about uh what like worst case situation, like worst case scenarios and what to do. So you were like kind of catastrophizing in a way, even though it was like he acted out in a fun way, but yeah. Yeah. In some way I, you know, I think that was like kind of funny at the time, but really I think it kind of reflects the idea that I feel like I had higher anxiety when I was a kid. Right. The Uh fact that you're thinking about that, like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And I was just kind of, reflecting on how before this how when I was around maybe 10 even nine or 10 in a fourth grade everyone starts all all of a sudden things start becoming important that weren't before how people look you're you're changing in gym class starting in middle school middle school I always say that you know middle school girls are actually the meanest on the planet is kind of my god um, (laughs) my opinion but um Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, girls start drama and they start making fun of the way other people look. Um, I had an experience that I just recall so strongly when I was in dance class, maybe even, it was maybe even as young as third grade. And we were changing into our like little leotards and outfits that we would wear. And another girl in the group called me fat. And it was just probably one of my like youngest memories where I suddenly became aware of my body, even though mm-hmm. before that I felt completely fine or, or healthy. Yeah. Um, and isn't it's, it amazing how like the one comment like can just completely can shift your whole, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I think like that's exactly an example of how like one comment that means not that much to you can really stick with someone for a long time. Yeah. I mean, Uh, for better or for worse, like there are comments that maybe you say that can like really positively affect somebody's life, but like, then there's the ones that like, literally like, I mean, you know, like there's things that now I'm 25. Well, I'm almost 30 years from 10 years old, but I, (laughs) 
girl. And I can't believe I just said that. Oh my God. Anyway, that there's things that were said to me then that I'm still working through, you know, mm-hmm. like nasty things that girls said to me in the, in class, you know, and I'm like working through them today. It's amazing. I know. It also is so interesting to me too. I was just thinking this is real brief that like at such a young age, you already had a negative connotation with the word fat. Like you at whatever age you were, that was bad, right? Like you, you internalized that as bad. Right. It wasn't just a neutral descriptor because of the way that she said it or because of, you know, I don't know where I heard, heard the word before that Mm -hmm. too. Um, right like in anywhere like society the world school our friends our family like that that word for so long has had so much negative energy yeah and I mean I remember hearing that as a young girl and like being like (gasps) yeah like oh like almost like it was a bad word you know I remember how dare you say that to me yeah, exactly. Like I remember saying to my, my dad was talking about being overweight and like he had a big belly or something. And I was like, well, dad, it used to mean like that, you know, being overweight was a sign of wealth because you could afford to eat, you know? And he was like, yeah, well not today, you know, being, yeah, that's just sad. having, being able to afford to go to the gym and work out or whatever, you know? Yeah, And I can't even, you know, I don't even really know where I learned that negative association with mm-hmm. the word. I think, you know, my, my family was always so some background, we, you know, we love food. It's a huge way that we can show how we love each other. My grandma would always cook for me and she mm-hmm. wanted me to be healthy. And, and, you know, she was always feeding me and still is to this day. I love her so much, but um, <laughs> I think like, you know, from a, from a young age, no one was ever telling me at home anyway like oh don't eat that or like you can't have um like two ice creams at the beach one day in the summer like that my parents never never tried to like discourage me in that way so I don't think you know I think that even though they did their best to raise me so that I was had a healthy relationship with food Mm -hmm. um, it was still something that that happened to me and I think you know, we were talking about this the other day, I think, Becca, how sometimes people's families might feel really responsible for um, something that happens to their child in terms of mental illness. But there's really no way, you know, I struggled for a long time trying to pinpoint what was the reason that I ended up developing an eating disorder, what was the cause. And I think that there really isn't one cause and it's not so easy to pinpoint it. Right. right. Absolutely. I think that um, parents, oh my God. I, I mean, I, we, what we were talking about was that I met with a family friends and their daughter is really struggling with an eating disorder right now. And, and they were saying how they don't want to talk, like, they don't feel comfortable talking about it with other people because they, th- they think that people are going to we'll judge them. And yeah. you know what? it's true. Like that happens. It's really horrible, but people do. They're like, Oh, must, they must have bad parents, bad parenting, right. No matter what, like, you know, the school shooters and things like that. Oh, it must be because they have bad parents, bad parenting. Right. And now that's so, so hard. Uh, so yeah. after, after you heard that, yeah. After mm-hmm. you heard that comment and like, you kind of remember that being like a pivotal moment in your, in your life, what was your, what did your self-esteem and body image look like moving forward from that? You know, I think I had just really started to believe it to be true. I think like 
I really internalized the comment. And I can't even remember if there were other comments that kids made to me. I'm sure that there were, but it, it maybe wasn't even as frequent as I thought. And I don't know if I was necessarily like bullied for my weight, but just having one or two comments was something that really stuck out to me. And it sort of just kind of compounded as I got a little older. So maybe that was when I was like nine or 10. And then I remember another really like pivotal moment was in gym class in maybe the fifth grade. We had, we were talking about this on our podcast, actually about body empowerment project, BMI. They had us all get our BMIs measured in school, which was just like the craziest thing now that I think about it. Like the craziest students line up and step on a scale like one after another and you can the person behind you can kind of like be nosy and and see or they ask you you know girls were comparing like what their BMIs were and that was something I just learned I didn't even know what that was really before that time um so I remember just wondering like comparing mine with other people and feeling like it was too high um even Mm -hmm. though I don't even remember that it was, it might've been completely like within the normal range, whatever, whatever that means. Um, that was just another, one of those moments that really stuck out to me, um, before things got bad necessarily, I was still, you know, healthy and generally just, just anxious about myself and my body. But that was another moment that really just solidified all those feelings. Oh, I get that. I have many moments like that for myself too, where like, I look back and I'm like, yep, like this moment will stick out in my head as like a, a pivotal moment in how I kind of developed in my mental health journey. Oh yeah. yeah. I have lots of those points. I'm like, oh, lots yep, of them. There you go. Yep, this there is it like, is. I can make a timeline. I think I, we had to make a timeline <laughs> in treatment and I was like, yep, there's this one. There's this, there's this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, the other key piece that maybe also fed into this is that a lot of times with eating disorders, it's, it's not necessarily about the food or the weight, or it's not about how you look. It's kind of, for me anyway, it was also a way that this is something I can control when I feel out of control. So there was just general, whenever there was some other conflict in my life, either with my family or just like some, some distress that I was feeling. I felt like I learned that food was a thing that I could control. So I think that's really where I started, you know, and it started, it always feels like a good idea to, to eat healthier and, and to exercise more. So it really started like that. Like I just wanted to be healthier. I was going to, um, you know, choose healthier foods. I had suddenly had a lot more opinions about what my parents were making for dinner or you know, what they were packing me for lunch when before I just didn't really care. I wanted to go grocery shopping with them. I just suddenly became really invested in what we were eating um, and just wanted everyone to eat healthier. Um, Yeah. I also feel like I had, I was pretty active. Like I had a lot of sports that I took up, which is great. But at the same time, you know, I, I was maybe, maybe overwhelmingly. So I did, um, I did cheerleading too, which I feel like because of that sport, a lot of it depends on, um, 
are your you size. the lightest? Are you the yep. smallest one? Are you going to be at the top of the pyramid? That's what we had of the for our first episode with Morgan. That's she talked about that exact same thing. Like she wanted to be small to be the top of the, exactly top of the pyramid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, you know, that was a sport, but even, even all the other sports I was, I was doing like softball too, which is just like, there was just so many ways that I was staying active and generally being an active and busy kid is a good thing, but it can also be like equally overwhelming. And, you know, maybe it's okay if, if your child is not involved in, in so, so many different activities. Um, so I think, you know, I started becoming a lot more active and I was also starting to develop new eating habits. Like, mm-hmm. and at first it felt like this is really healthy. Maybe I started losing a little bit of weight and like, generally there was some positive comments that I was now what? noticing from right. my, like from my peers, from other girls, um, in my classes. And I felt like I had all this knowledge about how I could teach them to eat healthier or, or be more active. Um, and that was probably around in seventh grade that I started being like a lot more strict about what I was eating and, uh, and paying more attention to how I looked. And I think that's kind of one of the, the misconceptions is that people it's not like I said, I'm gonna, I decided I was going to have an eating disorder that right. that's, you know, I was, that's what I wanted. Um, right. I really just thought I was being, I thought I was being healthier. I thought I was doing a good thing. And mm-hmm. it's just a really slippery slope for someone who either has a genetic predisposition yeah. to mental illness or eating disorders, um, or they have other things going in their, on in their life that it can trigger. Yes. And it also raises the question, when does something become disordered? Right. Um, And for me, I think what really stuck out was that my mom started to notice because mothers have like this intuition, like my child, it's my child. I know when something's not right. Right. And I I think that they couldn't quite, my parents couldn't quite put their finger on it or they couldn't really understand what was going on with Mm me. Um, And certainly my, I mentioned I was really close to my grandparents and they also really couldn't understand, especially for cultural reasons. Uh, they're foreign and, and my parents are also first generation immigrants. So I think there is like some cultural factors there. Like food is a great thing and, and why can't sure. you eat? Um, right. I think that goes along too with just like, and, and um, like we talked about this a little bit before too, with like um, people who um, deal with food insecurity. Like um, I, I remember somebody saying when we first were going to one of the schools, like, um, oh, well, like, you know, I don't have the privilege to have an eating disorder or something Mm -hmm. like, like, and I was like, you know, that they, that wish we could care about the food going, you know, that we have food, whether we have food or not in in that way or something. And I was like, no, I I don't think it works like that, you know, but um, people can think of it like that. But yeah, I know like some cultures, like I know in like Jewish culture, like, you know, there's like this stereotype about the Jewish mother or grandmother constantly shoving food down your, food down your mouth. You know? yeah. And it's, uh, and you know, you have to have a clean plate and everything like that. Like different cultures have different relationships to food. And I think that is really significant. It is. And I, I really love what you were saying too, Christina. I mean, for our longtime listeners, 
they know that I, I too have a, an eating disorder story. Um, and that was so, it's so important what you said that it often isn't about, you know, the food or the weight that right. it's, that it's a control issue or control challenge. And that it's not something, you know, it's something that you lean on. Um, it's like coping skill, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a coping skill. And then before you know it, like you mentioned that slippery slope that you think, okay, I'm doing this to like, you know, take my mind off of it, or I'm being healthy, or I'm yes. doing this to kind of make myself feel okay. Right, and like then before you guys is a good thing. Right, it's a good thing. Right. And then before and, you know it, it has, it has the grip of you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you know, F like here I am like struggling way very hard to recognize I think yourself too that you are struggling or or the people closest to you have are often really in denial about your struggles but um right like you said your mom like you know a mother like can recognize something's wrong but oftentimes I think you know it can go both ways like sometimes a mother is just like once isn't so like can be in such denial because they Mm -hmm. don't see that their child's struggling, you know, or, um, you know, and I also like how you said that, like some, you know, whether it's a genetic predisposition or, you know, there's something else that triggers it, you know, like another, I mean, and it can be something as simple as hormones, um, changing, you know, like, so was there, is there a genetic predisposition in your family? Like, was there other mental illness? Not, not that I actually know of. I mean, I think, upon reflecting, we said, you know, maybe my aunt or some of my other relatives struggled with disordered eating without anyone having ever been diagnosed. So, um, it's kind of hard to say, but I think, I think, you know, generally, no, there was no, nothing for us to have been, we weren't looking out for it really at the time. This, This is me upon like reflecting what other relatives I have. Um, but not not in my immediate family anyway, not with my sister, or my parents. Um, everyone was really healthy. And, and like I mentioned, I think had actually raised me with a pretty great relationship with food. I think about how sometimes some people will tell me like, oh, my, you know, my mom is constantly dieting or, um, you know, really cares about how she looks and how I even look. So some, some girls, including some of my friends, moms at the time, I remember thinking like, that must be so hard to have every single day in your house. So um, I guess certainly my parents, when you're that age, play a huge role in your, in your story. And I was talking about how, you know, my mom noticed something was wrong, but I think the interesting part with that is she, you know, she was seeing like my my behavior was changing. Maybe I was just like a little less happy. I didn't want to do the things anymore that I wanted to do before. Like Mm -hmm. something as simple as like going to the mall with friends or like going bowling or out to eat was, or sleepovers were like suddenly a lot more stressful for me because I was kind of always concerned about what was the food going to be like. Girl. Yes. Um, So many yeses. And I, I feel that so hard too, because like, disordered eating for me was such a secret. It was such a secret behavior that it like isolated me to a point where like, I didn't want to go anywhere because I didn't want anyone to comment on my body. I didn't want to deal with food. I didn't want people to ask me questions. I didn't want to, did I, I, I lived with bulimia nervosa. So I didn't want, did I have a, did I have an escape plan? 
if I had to, you know, right. use a, use my symptoms. It was, it was a stressful time, which then isolated me, which then made me depressed, which then made me feel like garbage. Yeah. So it was like, sorry, I got real heat. I got oh, real. No, it's so, yeah. It's so interesting because like, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times when I do my presentations, I describe like disordered eating as like, you know, it can be a negative coping strategy with a lot of the other things as well. And like, um, just like the, the food, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so similar in a way to substance abuse, you know, yeah. like, cause just what you described, same as me. Cause it was like about, is there going to be alcohol? Like, will I be able to move not in high schools? Kind of like, I, I wanted to make sure that there was like, you know, substances that I could use or like, how can I hide them? Will people find out mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff? Interesting. Yeah, it's very similar. The receptors in your brain, like I read somewhere in my treatment journey that the receptors in your brain almost respond and react the same way. Like when, right. when you, like food and like drug of choice, like food becomes drug of choice. Yeah. Because I, you guys mentioned I was a neuroscience major. So that was something I'm super interested in, mm-hmm. but it's the same like reward circuit in your yep, brain yep, yep. That activated. And I think that's just like, definitely needs more research into yes. that. Um, and I like Carly, how you mentioned too, kind of like this idea of like secrecy or shame. And I think I felt a lot of that because, um, you know, at first, maybe I was proud of it, but then I slowly was becoming really like secretive, hiding things that mm-hmm. I was doing constantly, like in every free moment I got doing extra exercise or extra push-ups. And, you know, there might've been some times where people caught on or, or caught me, either my, my friends knew that I was like throwing out my lunch at school. And that was something they started to pick up on. Um, I think my mom, you know, noticed, like I mentioned, she found me like leaving notes around the house just to remind myself to use different behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, And we took, and I had like my regular yearly physical, like at, at seventh grade, just so they can sign off on my paperwork to play spring sports. And we went to the pediatrician that day and my mom brought those notes even where I was saying really unkind things to myself and had all these behaviors written down and presented them to the uh, clinician who completely dismissed her concerns. Um, You know, um, my weight was still like in a, in a normal range. Although if you had looked at my growth chart, it was just, it, it was not following my normal growth chart. So even if it was maybe normal for a girl my age, it wasn't normal for me. Um, And after that time, it was really hard, you know, if a medical expert tells you it's just a phase, she's growing, Mm -hmm. um, you have a a really hard time. I had a really hard time listening to any concerns that anybody else had, including my mom going forward. I I was not going to listen to what she said because a medical professional had told me that I was okay and signed off on all my paperwork to participate right. in sports. Right. Um, and oh, that's so one of those pivotal moments where I feel like for a long time, I was really angry about, I'm just like, I, that was the moment where somebody could have said like, she needs help. It mm. doesn't get that bad. Um, you know, I felt like in hindsight, the signs were obvious and I, I don't know how nobody 
how nobody recognized it. But that was a really, that was also a really difficult point for me and for us as a family, because less than six months from that time, no, not even six months. So that was probably in February of seventh grade. And they signed up on my paperwork to play spring sports. And two months later, on April 3rd of that same year, um, I had, uh, I've been feeling, you know, not so good that day at school. And I went to the nurse's office because, and my heart rate was so low that the nurse could, she barely had a pulse. She got really concerned. I like passed out and they had to call the ambulance to the school. And that was like that turnaround time. And certainly I got worse in those two months, but like just two months prior, a doctor had told me and my family that I was okay. Oh my gosh. Two months I was, you know, they told me at the hospital that day, if you played in your softball game after school, you could have died, which was just so, oh my God. So, so scary. So, so scary. Yeah. I still just feel like getting so emotional now when I think about it. Of course. I'm so grateful though, that the school nurse that day kind of had the intuition. Um, We actually like on April 3rd, every year, my mom still takes her out to lunch and we're just like, Oh my gosh. She saved my life. I mean, absolutely. What an amazing story. Well, cheers to that nurse, man. Yeah. For for being that person. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, my school, so I love that. My school nurse actually same thing was like the pivotal role in my like, like that's the thing like school staff, they see you like probably more than, you know, your parents really. And so, you know, it's so important that they're like paying attention and like aware of like our, one of our storytellers, who's also like been on our podcast, Jenna, like that's what she says, like her teacher luckily saved her life because she was Mm -hmm. that things were not like not okay with her and that's so powerful um a quick break yeah I was just gonna say let's take a break and we'll come on back finish up talking about your story and kind of where you are now Yeah. yeah yay if you or someone you know is in crisis Call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or you can text NAMI to the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Or go to NAMI.org for more information. Remember, you are not alone. 